Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of The B-Side, a spin-off pod for the Film Stage show for the Film Stage website. And it's the second in a series we're trying out called Ode to the Almost Movie Star. Today's subject, one Julia O'Hara Styles. Born in 1981 in New York City to Judith Newcomb Styles and John O'Hara, she was a child actress. Her first role was on the children's TV show Ghost Rider, which I remember actually very well. I loved that show as a kid. It aired on PBS, and a fun fact, Samuel L. Jackson appears in the pilot episode of this show. A trunk has got to be in here somewhere. You think it's going to be big enough to hold the rest of Denitra stuff, Dad? It better be. I'm going to have to rent a U-Haul to get your sister to college. <laughs> and that episode aired in the fall of 1992. Jackson plays the dad of the kid who opens the book that frees the ghost that becomes the ghost writer uh, of that show. So, you know, the more you know. Young Julia Stiles appears in an episode a few seasons later called Who is Max Mouse? where she plays a cyberpunk hacker kid. Do you know anything about hackers? Can you jam with the console cowboys in cyberspace? What? Ever read Neuromancer? Huh? Ever experienced the new wave? Next wave? Dream wave? Or cyberpunk? I didn't think so. I'll handle the hacker stories. She then played Harrison Ford's daughter in The Devil's Own, who has a big crush on Irish-accented Brad Pitt. I think we mentioned Devil's Own briefly in our Brad Pitt episode, and how for a while there in the mid-90s, Bradley was figuring out how to do accents and, um, you know, having moderate to not a lot of success. Her first starring role uh, in a feature film was in the movie Wicked, which came out in 1998. Directed by Michael Steinberg, Styles plays Ellie, who is a 14-year-old girl who, spoiler alert, murders her mother and then seduces her father. This movie, um, I'll be very honest, uh, you can find it on YouTube. I found it on YouTube. I tried to watch it. I got about halfway through, and uh, listeners, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. it it's very, um, it's a gross movie. I, there's so much about it, I, and even from the description, you can obviously kind of understand to some degree. Um, yeah, I, I let's just move past it. <laughs> She's also in M Night Shyamalan's second feature, Wide Awake, which came out the year before The Sixth Sense. A lot of people, I think. Think of The Sixth Sense as uh, M. Night Shyamalan's first movie, when in fact it was his third movie. He had made a movie in the early 90s called Praying With Anger, and then uh, Wide Awake came out. Both movies didn't get seen by many people, so in a lot of ways... And also they're not thrillers, really. They're they're more dramas, comedy dramas. At least Wide Awake's kind of a, a mix of comedy and drama, um, or tries to be. The Sixth Sense is a definite tonal shift in his career and was such a big success that... You know, um, I think now he's it's thought of that that's his first movie, but in fact, it's his third. Now, 1999 was the big year for Julia Stiles. She's 18 years old, and she's in a TV movie called The 60s, um, which I did not get around to watching, but I will say I had a friend in college who loved this movie. 
she loved the 60s. Styles in it, she plays a young woman who gets pregnant and joins a hippie community in the Pacific Northwest. Um, there's a lot, look it up, there's a lot of young actors and actresses in that movie that would go on to be in bigger things. So kind of an interesting timepiece, if nothing, uh, if nothing much else. Obviously the big one in 99 is 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes, miss, I have an opinion about everything. Do you want this in iambic pentameter? You're not going to fight me on this? No, I think it's a really good assignment. <laughs> you just mess with me, aren't you? No, I'm really looking forward to writing it. Get out of my class. What? Out, get out! Thanks, Mr. Morgan. Shut up. Styles stars with Heath Ledger in what is a modern high school remake of The Taming of the Shrew. She is the shrew. Her name is Kat Stafford in the movie. And she is romanced reluctantly and through a bet and, you know, the usual kind of Shakespearean machinations by Patrick Verona, who is Keith Ledger. And Verona, obviously a reference to the city in which I believe either Taming of the Shrew or another Shakespearean play or multiple Shakespeare plays take place. Um, yeah, this was a, you know, as a, as a, as a movie in theaters, it did marginally well, but I think like a lot of movies of that time, when you think of kind of the other, the other two high school movies I always think of when I think of 10 Things I Hate About You during that time was She's All That, Fun Fact Ghost Written by M. Night Shyamalan, and, um, Can't Hardly Wait. So those three for me kind of are the three great late 90s high school dramedies, if you will. Of the three, 10 Things probably has the biggest following and the most longevity. And that probably has a lot to do with Styles and Ledger. I mean, this is where she becomes a star. 10 Things I Hate About You is one of those movies where it just feels like everybody involved is fully aware of the source material, is fully aware of kind of what works their abilities. And I think, you know, in rewatching it, Styles is the probably the MVP of the movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is lovely. The actress who plays Bianca, who I think of always as Alex Mack, Larissa Olenek, young Gabrielle Union. I know you can be overwhelmed, and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? I think you can in Europe. And this is a good opportunity to bring up the reason I'm even recording this podcast. This is a direct request from my lovely sister, Mallory Mecca, who asked me to do a Julia Stiles Almost Star pod because she loves and has always loved her hair. And I will say in, in 10 Things I Hate About You, it's lovely hair. Julia Stiles, Cat Strafford, she's got it going on. And she's doing really good work. So I'm really happy 20 years later, 20 years later, that movie endures. Now, 2000 is an interesting year because it has maybe her best and one of her worst movies in the same year, her peak and valley, so to speak. State in Maine, directed by the one and only David Mamet, written as well, of course. She plays a young woman who ends up getting involved with the star actor of this Hollywood movie that's filming in this small town. A great Hollywood satire, a great mammoth uh, screenplay, 
lot of great performances. Alec Baldwin, Sarah Jessica Parker. Actually, a small cameo at the end by young John Krasinski, as a matter of fact. And then the other movie is Down to You, which I will just say it's interminable. It's It was a Miramax movie right after She's All That, so you can definitely see what they're trying to do. You have Freddie Prinze Jr., the She's All That star, with Julia Stiles, the 10 Things I Hate About You star, and it's a college movie about a college relationship, and the idea is there in as much as it, it it's they're young adults, and the movie is meant to be kind of like an R-rated examination of what college is like, what relationships in college can be like. They're fickle, but also they're very passionate, right? What have you. So the impetus for it is there. But unfortunately, the execution... And look, you don't want to be mean to actors here, um, or I don't want to be mean to actors here, but I will say with Freddie Prince Jr., um, you know, he never... He never really had that leading man. He never had that leading man charisma that would allow you to stay engaged on the screen with him. She's got you. What? It's a better pick than crazy. Depends on your mood, I guess. You like Patsy Cline? Yeah, Patsy, Billy, Joni, all the great female singers. My mom's influence. She spins. Get out of here. Been a DJ her whole life. Wow. Not to mention this screenplay is just very lackluster. There's like, there's these side elements that are very unrealistic. So any sort of realism in terms of the relationship is basically kind of undercut by like, you know, there's a there's a whole bit where Freddie Prinze Jr.'s best friend is a porn director. That's right. Zach Orth is the guy who is the porn director in this movie. Um, I mean, look, it's directed, I think written and directed as a matter of fact, yeah, by Chris Isaacson. And as I keep saying, the intention is there. It's 90 minutes long. Selma Blair plays uh, a role in this movie kind of as the other woman. She works with Zach Orth in this porn thing. Sean uh, Sean Hattesey plays the best friend character. Ashton Kutcher is in this movie. I think it might be his first or second screen credit. Um, um Right around the same time Dude, Where My, uh, Dude Where's My Car came out. He literally plays a character named Jim Morrison that looks like Jim Morrison. That's the joke of his character. Rosaria Dawson uh, plays Julia Stiles' friend. Julia Stiles' name is Imogen. Freddie Prince's name is Al. So just in every way, like, Julia doesn't look like an Imogen. Freddie doesn't look like an Al. Right, like, nothing really works. The budget was way too high, $35 million. It made less than $25 million when it came out. It's one of the lowest reviewed movies, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes. And it just, that's, there's not much more to say about it. It's just a miss. And I think this kind of, unfortunately, speaks to a couple of movies that are going to come up in this brief period of Is Julia Stiles a Star? Where some of the some of the movies she chose just didn't hit. Also in 2000 is a lesser seen movie by Michael Amareda. Uh, called Hamlet, a modern retelling of Hamlet starring Ethan Hawke in which Julia Stiles plays Ophelia. Now, this is an underrated movie, I think. I am a huge Ethan Hawke fan, admittedly. I'm a huge Michael Almereta fan. I think he's a super underrated writer and director. And this movie, you know, if you listen to Ethan Hawke interviews, the inspiration came 
from the idea of Hamlet having his great conflicting monologue while in a blockbuster trying to decide what movie to rent. And in fact, that is kind of the marquee scene of the movie, which is funny now, obviously in 2019, where blockbuster does not exist anymore. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them, to die, to sleep, no more. You know, there are obviously things in the movie that are dated, but of course then it's Hamlet. And I do, I always do appreciate that, you know, not unlike Boz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, they're doing basically the play. They're not really adjusting too much of the language. For my money, the best Hamlet is Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, which had only come come out, I think, a couple of, I think, 96 it came out. It's so only four years before this Hamlet. So I think in a lot of ways, this really did get overshadowed by Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet and, you know, its epic, you know, qualities that movies i believe his hamlet's like four hours long so the movie kind of got lost unfortunately and also speaks this movie hamlet also kind of speaks to another thing with styles that comes up through the years which is she's kind of always involved in these shakespeare adaptations to some degree it seems 10 things i hate about you hamlet and there'll be more coming now in 2001 despite your down to you and your hamlet the streak does continue with save the last dance which was released by paramount directed by thomas carter came out now this is crazy came out january 12th 2001 which you know if you know with your movies January and February traditionally is a dumping ground of sorts for studio movies. Now, Save the Last Dance may have been positioned as that, but ended up being a big hit. Made $91 million domestically, $131 million worldwide. You have young Carrie Washington in that movie. Sean Patrick Thomas is the love interest. It's a movie in which a young woman named Sarah, um, who lives in the uh, suburbs of Chicago and is a great dancer and wants to go to Juilliard, um, is then forced to move into the city of Chicago after some tragedy in her life. Her mother uh, dies in a car accident. Her father's kind of a wreck, and she basically is forced to give a ballet to some degree. Um, I think there's a guilt associated with how her mother dies, so she gives up dancing. And then in going to the city of Chicago and going to a different school where, gasp, most of the students are black, right? This is a white girl in a black world is kind of the positioning of this movie. Uh, It was an MTV production with Paramount. Um, She meets a handsome, charming young man named Derek, Sean Patrick Thomas, as I mentioned. And they kind of start this, you know, Romeo and Juliet-ish romance, right? As I said, Kerry Washington becomes Julia Stiles's friend at the school terry kinney plays um julia styles's uh, father uh terry kinney himself a great chicago actor and actually a great performance in this movie terry kinney kind of never gets enough credit he's one of the fixers on that show that showtime show billions which is very fun show if you get around to watching that and yeah basically the movie's about how this young woman sarah she uh she gets back into dancing but it's more hip-hop dancing right it's not you know she incorporates what happens is she incorporates her ballet with hip hop, with kind of more of that type of dancing, and makes her own thing and has a lot of success. Mm. 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 
Speak this out. Come on. <laughs> it's a tragedy with a romance there. You know, it, it it's derivative, I suppose. But it was a big hit, and, and truthfully, um, I think it's a really well-made movie. And for any sort of cultural appropriation type things, I do think the movie addresses it more than you probably remember it does. Um, and for movies, not to lower the bar, but for movies like that, um, I was impressed at some of the nuances in it. So uh, a, a very fine movie that did very well. And I think, you know, is her peak as a movie star or an almost movie star? I mean, this is, I mean, here you go, 99, 2000, 2001. This is kind of where it's just the highest it's going to be, right? Because it is 10 things. It's uh, State of Maine, which obviously was more of an indie, smaller movie, but she's great in it. It's a pretty great movie. And then her biggest hit, Save the Last Dance. She also makes two smaller movies in 2001 that are both very good, I think. The Business of Strangers, her and Stalker Channing. It's a con movie. See it. It's hard to see. I was trying to rewatch it for this podcast. Impossible to find. I'm hoping somebody puts it on some streaming service. That movie is ripe to, for rediscovery. Um, and then O, oh, which I brought up on the uh, Josh Hartnett Almost Movie Star podcast. It's a modern remake of Othello. So here we go with the Shakespeare thing again. And not to mention the Save the Last Dance kind of being a very loose Romeo and Juliet. O oh, is she plays Desdemona. Her name is Desi in the movie. And, you know, O, oh, once again, directed by Tim Blake Nelson. I think it was kind of ridiculed at the time or underseen. I, I re- Give it a watch. Mackay Pfeiffer plays, uh, I believe his name's Odin in the movie, the Othello character. As I mentioned before, uh, Josh Hartnett plays um, Hugo, who's the um, Iago character from the play. And, uh, you know, Julia Stiles is Desdemona. And it's some great young actors acting. I, I really think it is. And, you know... It's overall, but it's Othello. I don't know what people are expecting. There's a basketball. Uh, it's framed in a basketball context, the prep school. Um, I think it works. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess just looking at it, right, with O, she's in She's in what becomes in 2002 a huge part of her career, which is the Bourne identity, right, in which she plays Nikki Parsons, who's, um, you know, at the beginning in, in the first Bourne, just a member of this agency and that's trying to get born and then as the movies go on becomes a bigger more essential part of the whole plot she has that great line read in one of the sequels where uh, she's talking with born and she says it was difficult for me with you You really don't remember anything. No. And I always felt like it was a bit of a disappointment that Paul Greengrass and, you know, Matt Damon and the writers, Tony Gilroy and George Nolfi and what have you, they didn't, they never did enough with the Nikki Parsons character, probably because it became so much about Matt Damon, so much about the spycraft and the action. Um, but it felt like there was more there. And even though she does get her own kind of ending in Jason Bourne, the most recent Bourne movie, 
Um, that always kind of bummed me out because she is good in that very limited role. And it's so crazy that it became such a big part of her career that she's basically Matt Damon's Ving Rhames, right? Like Ving Rhames is in all of the Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise. And I believe Julia Stiles is the only other actor in all four of the Matt Damon Bourne movies. Sorry, discounting uh, the Bourne legacy. So that's 2002. That's her one movie in 2002. And then 2003 is kind of when it starts to slide, right? A guy thing comes out. Another kind of early year feels like a dumping ground type of thing, except this one is not a hit like Save the Last Dance. She plays Becky, and it's just this gross marriage comedy where Jason Lee plays this dickhead who thinks he's cheated on his fiance Selma Blair. Jason Lee thinks that thinks that he slept with one of the dancers from his bachelor party, who is Julia Stiles, and he's keeping it from his fiance Selma Blair. And that's what that's the joke, right? And that's what the whole movie's about. And Julia Stiles has a bigger connection to Selma Blair than he thinks. And then that complicates everything. The highlight, the only real highlight in the movie, other than Julia Stiles, is young Thomas Lennon as Jason Lee's brother. And the funny bit that they they lean on throughout the movie is that Thomas Lennon clearly loves and is in love with Selma Blair and keeps bringing it up and not being not so coy about it. I didn't know she was her cousin. What, what, why, why would you sleep with anyone? Why, when you have Karen, who's so stunning and witty and, and delectable and has, has those little dimples that... Pete, what? And look, for Julia Stiles, this speaks to kind of a running thing with her. She's in these movies, good and bad, Save the Last Dance, Guy Thing, Down to You, The Prince and Me coming up, where it seems like she's carrying her lead actors, her lead male actors. And so it's interesting because this is a time when, and you know, hopefully this is changing, it feels like it's changing to some degree, you know, female movie stars are often relegated to these limited roles, and she clearly is here in a lot of these movies, but she's also the best part of these movies. So you have this weird dichotomy of she's so charming, and especially down to you where, I mean, that movie is horrible, but she is the light in the storm. You know, she is kind of, if you're going to watch it, she'll be the one where you're kind of like, and I even think, you know, I was reread, you know, I, I try to reread reviews and whatnot when I go through these. The New York Times review says as much. I mean, she's really the one shining light in that picture. And so you go through it. I mean, Born Identity comes out, A Guy Thing's 03 after 02, Born Identity. Carolina's a small movie in 03. Nobody sees it. It's a it's an American-German co-production. And then late 03 in the Oscar season is Mona Lisa Smile, directed by Mike Newell. It's kind of a female-centric dead poet society. That's what they're going for. It's covered pretty nicely in the podcast This Had Oscar Buzz, um, which I definitely recommend you guys checking out if you like this kind of deep minutia type stuff about movies and actresses and actors and whatnot. They really cover Mona Lisa's smile in depth. Um, the movie doesn't really work. It's 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 you know it's basically it's a school um, where the the young women students are are kind of being encouraged basically to find their husband to make you know so that they can be a homemaker and a liberally progressively minded teacher comes in julia roberts and shakes it up right and so you have like jennifer goodwin kirsten dunst maggie gyllenhaal and julia styles kind of as your your main students and their different dichotomies unfortunately they're all kind of archetypes there isn't a lot of development with their characters dominic west plays a teacher 
never really becomes the lived-in drama that Dead Poets became, and um, and you know the box office and the critical uh, recognition, you know, uh, reflects that. It just didn't have quite as much. So one wonders if that had become a breakout hit, would that have elongated her stardom? I, I don't actually know because I think we're really all kind of comes down to is in 2004 with The Prince and Me, directed by Martha Coolidge. I think he's hot. I just don't want to get distracted right now. What are all the pins for? Red ones are where I've been and all the green ones are where I want to go. What? I just really never met someone who makes me feel so intimidated. <laughs> no, I've never felt this way before. It's Edward. What's go! Name? Go! You're a prince, and that's why they were taking photos of us? Yes. You lied to me. I just didn't want to be Prince Edward for once in my life. Page, wait. Stay away from me. And let's remember here, 2004, she's still so young. 23, 24 years old. This is her, like, fifth leading lady movie, and she's not even 25. And weirdly, this feels like the end of the movie star run. Now, The Prince and Me came out and underperformed. It cost $22 million, It made 37 So I don't know that it lost money. And I think it definitely has grown to become a bigger hit than it was initially. But even still, I think at the time, it was a disappointment. The movie is basically um, a... And here we go with the Shakespeare thing. A Danish prince, played by Luke Mabley, is conceited and stuck up and tired of the pressure of being the next king of Denmark and whatnot. You know, not-so-subtle Hamlet reference. They obviously talk about Hamlet in the movie as well. Um, He goes to Wisconsin, USA to get away from all the pressure and enrolls in a college. And there's a pre-med student he meets, played by Julia Stiles. And they don't like each other. Her name's Paige. His name's Prince Edward. She has no idea that he's a prince, obviously. She just just thinks he's like a stuck-up guy from Denmark. And what happens? They become lab partners. They hate each other at first, but they begin to fall in love. Now, I'll say this. It's a rather lovely movie, okay? It really is. You know, there are the expectations inherent with a movie like this. Um, but it basically works. And once again, it's Julie Stiles carrying this guy, Luke Mabley, who's just not as capable in terms of, you know, leading a picture. It's her movie. Go find the poster online. It's her poster, right? She's, you know, the one looking, looking into the lens, making the funny pose. I think it basically works. It's actually spawned a few video-on-demand sequels. So, like I was saying with the success, I think there was success. I just think it was a little, you know, uh, I think it it took a little while for the success to happen. I know that when you bring it up, people have a fonder memory of it, at least in my kind of, you know, as I, when I'm recording these things, I'll talk about recording them with people, you know, oh, hey, I'm doing Julia Stiles, and people will bring the movie up, you know, at least in my circles. So I think it's interesting just colloquially, like, the movie has some sort of following, maybe with people my age, 30-ish type of people, but regardless, I just think at the time it doesn't quite do well enough that it extends her star run. Also, Martha Coolidge, the director, let's just take a minute and talk about her, because this, you know, brings me back 
to the thing I always feel like I always talk about. Martha Coolidge, great director who I feel like kind of got lost in that thing, that annoying thing of the female directors who, you know, all, you know, and look, before I kind of jump fully into it, she's made a lot of movies. So I don't want to like, I don't want to make her seem like some damsel when in fact she's made a lot of movies. I just want to at the very least point out that she's a living, breathing director. She does a lot of TV now and she's very talented. So seek out some of her movies. Okay. I'm just going to give you a couple. Valley Girl, 1983, super underrated movie, young Nicolas Cage and a starring performance from Deborah Foreman. Definitely check that movie out. And then, just two years later, Real Genius, Young Val Kilmer. Hysterical movie. Hysterical movie. All right? You have a weird movie in the late 80s called Plain Clothes with um, Arliss Howard. This, I think, is the first screenplay Scott Frank sold, uh, one of our great screenwriters. Then you have a movie from 1991 called Rambling Rose, directed, once, like I said, by Martha Coolidge from a screenplay by Calder Willingham. Stars Laura Dern, Diane Ladd, her mom in real life, young Lucas Haas, Robert Duvall, and John Hurd. Laura Dern, I believe, got nominated for this movie. And let me tell you something. See this movie. Okay, depression era movie. Laura Dern plays this young woman who's an orphan who who basically starts working for this family and just starts shaking stuff up. Kind of came and went aside from the Oscar nomination, but I would say seek it out. It's worth your time. Uh, No question about it. Diane Ladd was also nominated for the movie, actually. So there you go. After that, you have Lost in Yonkers, 93, Angie, 94, written by Todd Graff, kind of an underrated Gina Davis vehicle. Introducing Dorothy Dandridge, starring Halle Berry, playing Dorothy Dandridge. At the very least, if you don't know a lot about Dorothy Dandridge, just watch that movie, right? I mean, fascinating uh, uh, fascinating movie star from way back in the day, played by a fascinating movie star today. And then she starts getting into TV. Prince and Me comes out in 04. Material Girls, 06. Not quite a success. I believe that's with the Duff sisters, the Hillary and Haley Duff. And then it's mostly TV. Point is, I just wish we talked about these female directors a little bit more, right? And the Prince and Me, like I said, though it's derivative, though it's very kind of you can guess a lot of things that happen, um, it's so well done in so many ways. So, you know... Of these movies we're talking about, that was the one when I revisited it. Um, or really even, I mean, I feel like it felt like the first time I'd watched it. I think I'd probably only seen, you know, bits of it over the years. I was more impressed than I was, like, bored. You know what I mean? I definitely was like, oh, you know what? I'm actually glad I watched this. So transitioning to the rest of the career, what happened? I, you know, what happened? She's 25, 24, 25. And I'll, t- I'll be honest, I actually watched one of those... <laughs> why Hollywood won't cast um, clickbaity videos that you'll see on your browser when you're looking at movie stuff. And I will say, I couldn't believe it, but it made a couple of good points. And some of the points are points I've been kind of alluding to throughout this episode. The most likely reason is box office, right? Which, once again, has been coming up. The movies didn't make enough money, right? Ten things and then save the last dance. Other than those, most of them down to you, guy thing, Prince and me, they didn't really hit. And critically, other than State and Maine, none of them really fully hit either. But other than that, what is it? The two words that came up in my mind when I was thinking about this were she's enigmatic and intelligent, right? It's a compliment, but it feels like a backhanded compliment, I suppose, You know, Julia Stiles on screen, she seems like the kind of person who knows how much she knows and is pretty sure it's more than you know. 
it's intimidating and engaging. And I think we can all say in this society where men are really revealing themselves to be, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, thin skinned and prickly creatures, one could surmise the inherent toughness of Julia Stiles might have might have rubbed people the wrong way. And it's offensive to even think about that. But when you go back and watch the movies, she's a very assertive um, actress and her characters, even when they're underwritten, she's able to convey that. So I think it really benefits her character, uh, benefits her characters. And, I, and if if that could have been a factor and it's so sad that that's something that seems reasonable. So after 2004, it's a barrage of mostly smaller films you most likely haven't seen, right? The standout being The Omen, directed by John Moore in 2006, a remake of the horror classic that was a high-profile summer release. She starred in it with Liev Schreiber. It performed okay, but it's forgotten now. I mean, do you, did you? when I just said that, did you even know that it existed? I would wager you probably didn't. One movie she made in 2005, I'll just point out, a movie called Edmund. It's another... Um, mammoth movie it's not great it's based on his play play from 1982 starring william h macy she's got a small role in it directed by Stuart gordon um she's in one of the more disturbing scenes in the movie it's kind of like david mammoth's falling down it's very disturbing it probably plays better on the stage truthfully and as much as i love william h macy and william h macy is great in mammoth movies joe mantain is also in it um it just doesn't really gel and ultimately left me with a bad taste in my mouth. Born Ultimatum is 07. She's reprising her Nikki Parsons role. Obviously, Born Supremacy was 04. Same role. Gospel Hill, Cry of the Owl, you know, a short film called Passage. And that's kind of it. There's a break of about three years. She's in Silver Linings Playbook, the David Russell movie. At playing um, Jennifer Lawrence's older sister, and she has a couple actually really good scenes. Guess what it is? Oh, it's a television. Uh, it's a nope. computer Just screen. Keep going, keep going. It's keep a brick going, oven. Going. It's a brick oven. It's a light. Oh, 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 it's warmer, a, it's warmer, a, warmer. It's a drawer to more. Don't think so hard. Don't think so hard. Where would the body go though? It's, it's a side. joke. It's a in the middle of the wall. I think in this time period, her biggest standout is Dexter. She's in that one season of Dexter, and she's doing a lot in that show. If you had something horrible happen to you, could you just forget about it and move on? I would want to. What if you couldn't? If you really want to help me get past this, help me find those guys and kill them. She had a brief stint on The Mindy Project, playing Dr. Jessica Lieberstein. She's currently on a show called Riviera that was initially created by Neil Jordan, but then Jordan left and they re-edited it, and I believe there was some sort of turmoil with that. Um, it's a bit of a thriller that revolves around uh, Julia Stiles. Uh, she has a billionaire husband who dies, and it's about that. It's been renewed for a second season, and it looks like it's. If you're listening, it just it just premiered the second season. Other than Riviera, she doesn't have much else on the horizon. I know she's dabbled in directing. Um, she's directed. Uh, she directed a short in 2007 called Raving, which she also wrote, 
and she directed episodes of a show called Paloma um, around that same time. Now, she tried to get her adaptation of The Bell Jar off the ground for many, many years. That's now being made by Kirsten Dunst, who they work together, obviously, on Mona Lisa Spile. So I'm sure that's a disappointment for her. But hey, at least The Bell Jar is getting made. I'm excited to see that adaptation of that uh wonderful tragic book i do hope she gets to direct i hope she gets you know in this age of netflix and amazon and everything else you would hope that if it's not a riviera hitting in that streaming capacity kind of the same way that uh the pen badger show you has where it comes out and then goes to a streaming service and it finds its audience or something like that I would hope if that doesn't happen with Riviera, it happens for something in the future i want julia styles who's still so young to find her next act you know not her last act probably not even her second act but her next act and so that's the hope in the meantime we'll always have the hair as my lovely sister says let's enjoy the hair let's enjoy the movie she's made and let's hope for more in the future until the next almost a movie star and the next b-side podcast have a good one